One morning, as I scribbled in my journal, a story began to unfold. In verse, at first. That's how it sometimes goes. A fictional character set in history. A woman fascinated by language and with dreams, exotic sounds and unearthly melodies. Let me introduce I Am Magpie. Long ago and not so far away, in fact here in Sydney, where my own forebears arrived on a death ship called Neptune, our Liza Collins was already here, having arrived in 1788. We hear her inner voice as she takes center stage. We are her audience. We first meet Eliza in the spring of 1789 in a fledgling colony on the other side of her known world. A woman of the enlightened age, cavalier with her freedom and empowered by her dreams, Eliza has journeyed to a new land with a theory, a social contract, informed partly by her own brand of mysticism and partly by self-taught empirical thought. A natural loner, an introspective observer, and a lucid dreamer, we are invited to Eliza's interior mind and introduced to her awakening thoughts, shared only with her neighbor and friend, Meg. Inspired by the young astronomer and scholar William Dawes, Eliza feels ready to join him and a circle of women on the headland. It is here in the night that she can hear a language of resonant beauty and mystery. And in her dreams, she hears deep intoning and luminous melodies and can almost touch the elusive beings that dwell among the stars. We follow Eliza as she moves blindly between reality and her dreams, making little progress. Through reading her sea journal to Meg, we meet a younger Eliza and also witness the emergence of a deeper, more passionate spirit. Her charisma burns brightly until tragedy strikes. Eliza will turn and return to her dreams, to the language, to Meg, and to the women on the headland, hoping for a new consciousness to find ground. How can she lift the darkness that surrounds her and that also somehow remains within her? You perhaps already know how things turn out in 1791 when there is a shift in colonial power. No peaceful understanding. No compromise. No treaty. No social contract. 
yet Eliza and Meg stay on to face each day gently, quietly, invisible on the fringe. I am Dr. Bronwyn Ether, a writer, a musician and a linguist. As a linguist, I specialise in the recording and analysis of Indigenous Australian languages, spending a decade in remote communities of Arnhem Land. Like many field linguists, I learned my trade at ANU in Canberra. Among the significant events of that time, there are two that are highly relevant to this story. First, I was fortunate to meet fellow linguist Jacqueline Troy, now Professor Troy. Second, the original notebooks of the Sydney language ascribed by the astronomer William Dawes from 1789 to 1791, long thought lost or destroyed, were discovered around 180 years later in the basement of a British museum. Professor Troy, herself a First Nations woman, researched and analysed these notebooks and went on to publish the Sydney language in 1994. With Professor Troy's permission, her book inspires the kernel of the language used by the Eura people in this story. Therefore, if you so desire, you'll gain some insight into the beauty and mystery of the language of Sydney as it was spoken in the first three years of colonisation. Join me as we meet Eliza Collins and follow an imagined journey through the first few years of settling on the land of the Eura. Gadigal land, Aboriginal land, always was, always will be. One. No space for any other voice today. Magpies wake me, easing melody into my dreaming. I am swooping, dancing through thickened air, leaning in to find calm resistance. Swallow, arching, arms spread wide, breasts high, legs long, shaft strong, veins and feather-fletching. We are flying. We are singing. This is an old, old dream. Spring in this land brings soft morning light, a caressing breeze with a tang of the sea, the sky is a dome of pastel blue. Magpies share their sweet awakening. Then a raven gives a marshalling call for myriad bird song, swelling counterpoint to fill the air between. There is no space for any other voice today. Two. This body, still alive. I lie on my back, 
musing on the dream and feel my lower lips pulsing at the memory. This body still alive, I smile, if only in dreams. Today, I make my journey to the cove. He works there on the headland, gathering, listening, scribbling. That too is my modest gift, language, sounds and symbols. To him, for them, for me. He sits among the women, his nature calm, assiduous, I want to be with them, inside the circle. By night he lens gazes to the stars, mapping out the southern sky. Does he too sail in dreams, on paths of light, gliding through the stars? When does this man sleep? Drawn to his quiet fascination with the world, my quim resumes its thrumming with thoughts of him, there on the point, facing out to sea. Folding back the coverlet, I roll and rise from bed, slide out the chamber pot, whip my nightdress off and I squat, releasing a stream of ica gold sighing at the rich and rounded scent. A few steps to the lean-to that is my washroom. Bright stripes of sunlight leaking through the boughs fall diagonally across the contours of my body. My body. So alive today. I caress my rounded belly. One child born, now gone. I cup my softened breasts, still plump from sleep, and brush shy pink nipples. I stretch my arms, wings in my dream, and feel them leaner, stronger. I reach to my wayward hair, twisting it up into a knot and pin it with a slender twig. Pale driftwood, grey, smooth, sinuous, warm and worn from salt and sun. I pour water from the heavy pail splashing into the wash bowl, standing feet braced, Both hands scoop water to my face. Down my body, river deltas. I smile into the mottled glass. Face alive, breath deep, nipples burnt. I cup a hand of water and hold it to my quim, rinsing away the faint acid of morning release. Another handful to cool my plump lower lips and then I dip my middle finger just inside gliding by the slippery folds the soft inner tunnel and sliding out 
I feel the tingle of that lonely bud. I taste my morning dew. Fragrant, woody redolence. Then rinse my armpits and the rosebud of my buttocks. I toss the water onto the earth and tiny jewels spin, falling in the sunlight. Three. Just a slate and chalk. I'll take first tea with my neighbour. She was out late for a birthing. Through these narrow streets we hear the echoing screams and wait. Wait for the startled, strangled cry. Then as one, we breathe. New life in our colony. Midwife, healer, Margaret Catchlove. My friend, my neighbour. There'll be damp and blooded linen. I'll help with washing it today. We're alike, not tied to social aspirations. Our natural gifts, our sensory experiences are our freedom. I dry my back, my legs, under my breasts, and in my head I make a journey list. Seed bread, dried meat, two finger yams, fresh herbs and sour fruit from Meg, not a journal, just a slate and chalk, my tools of trade long ago, far away. I ease into my mended boots, foot up on the wooden stool and I lace each one in turn. I hitch up my stockings one last time and pull down all my skirts, I grab my basket, shawl and woven hat and walk over to my neighbour. Four. Sweet tea, sweet child. Good morning, Eliza, she calls from inside. I'd know that footfall anywhere and laughs. We know it is my limp. Stay, rest, sister, I offer. I'll make us both sweet tea. Throw that new herb into the pot. It will keep us strong and lively, Meg imparts. Strong and lively. Lively and strong, I sing to myself. I stoke the fire, add dry wood and fill the pot with water. I break off leaves and roots from a string of herbs and mix them with leaves of sarsaparilla we use for tea. They will sink as the water heats. I call to Meg, I'll give the linens from last night first rinse over at the stream. I'll leave them there to soak. Sweet child, I'll be up and dressed when you return. Meg, round and soft in her faded velvet skirts and cream cotton bodice. I tip the linen into a tub, lathering leaves on top. Sweet child. I'm 31, a widow and still someone's sweet child. 
with thoughts of my own mother, confident and happy back in Folkestone, I join the women at the stream, waiting for my turn. I scoop water with a bucket and pour it in the tub. I rub the stains with leaves, dipping and wringing, rinsing and squeezing through each tangled sheet. It feels good to dip and swirl my hands through cool, coloured water. One morning, I rinsed my own blood from our sheet, virgin, unsealed, released. Five. Clouds will gather. Meg sighs into her chair. Water simmers in the pot. I lean in to savour the aroma. A darling little girl, she says. They named her Eileen. Eileen. My heart flinches. Scudding memory. She would be too. I'm finger combing tangles from her feather hair, squeezing plump little legs and tickling her hand. Can you keep a secret? I don't suppose you can. You mustn't laugh, you mustn't cry. She squeals and holds her breath, waiting. Waiting for the surprise. Meg knows my sorrow. Her hand covers mine. We sip our tea and dip dry bread into our cups. Yet your green eyes are dancing today, Eliza. I dream I'm flying, floating, dancing in a sphere of feathered air that would buoy my fall, yet lifts my wings. I am a bird. Sailing above a tranquil sea, I laugh. You do not fall. In dreams I never fall. When I wake, my whole body is alive, pulsing like the heart of that brave bird. My lower lips, swollen and damp, I lean in, smiling. An awakening, Meg's eyes, a soft glimmer. Perhaps I smile again. Perhaps I'll find something there on the headland. I'm walking to the point to see the good man of stars. I'll ask to join his circle of women, learn from them their language. Start your journey now, Eliza, so you can take the day. Here, for your basket, some small fruits I've gathered and a sprig of fresh green. Uh, Could you bring back some of the thick herbs growing by the stream? I'll add them to the evening meal. And Eliza, could you take this parcel to the western camp where you'll find an old woman sitting under the large shade tree? Yes, I'll take the western path. How will I know her? She'll know you from my telling by your fiery hair and your dancing green eyes. (laughs) And my distinctive gait. Don't forget your shawl today, Eliza. Clouds will gather.
6. Proof of my returning. My head is full of light imaginings as I take the wooded path down to the coast. My skill has always been to see and hear the turning. My eyes will hold one thread. Silence falls around me on the path. In this space, we do not measure time. It twists and loops and leads me through. I bend and caress the soft cream flowers. They turn to stars. Heroines of the Milky Way shining in the night sky. I am a single beam in their array. I'm lost in their bright complexity. I roll and open my body, arms outstretched on velvet-scented nesting, silken webbing lightly sprung. Brave harmonies rise and fall in waves. I reach out to a star's guardian, smooth, undulating tree trunk, tall sentinel, a man sinuous and towering in a sea of stars I caress the long firm torso following its bends and mounds a body smooth and hard a sonorous voice deep intoning my hands move lightly down his chest across his flat belly I shift closer to take in his scent to curl against his warmth Then a new voice shapes our melody, sharp and strong. The countering call of a raven. The turning spell is broken. I'm standing again on the path winding down to the cove. I laugh aloud and walk to the spring that trickles near the path. I bend to sip from cupped hands. The water sings again the sweet high lilt of the stars and the urging melody of their sentinel. I smile as echoes remain, tingling through my body. The covered path breaks open where it joins the wide dirt road turning down to the busy cove. I stamp first my right foot, then my left in the dry dirt and watch the dust rise and fall again onto my boots. One foot steadily after another I walk, glancing back just once to check that I'm leaving footprints in my wake. It's an old habit, learned from my mother, the proof of my returning. If anyone asks, I would say, I've always had these visions. Perhaps I learned them from my mother, from her stories. Infected by her dreams, perhaps I inherited them, passed down the female line comforting leaps to bridge my gaps of exactitude and hers. The urge to skip rises in me, bright memories of being a girl. I will not fall. I smile quietly and allow myself one hop and step on each side, then resume the gait of a grown woman. What good to the man of stars, the giddy wanderings of girl? I summon my studious demeanour. There'll be other times for those imaginings. 
The main road to the cove brings with it the bustle and industry of the colony, less than two years old. I hear the rhythm syncopated, axes, hammers, saws, picks and hoes and shovels. Many faces are familiar. I give and return greetings. Soldiers, red jackets removed and folded over trees. Convicts bent in toil, their garments rough and fraying. For some, the morning sun shows reddening shoulders and the ragged tracks of lashing crisscrossing their bony backs. Huts and simple shelters are spreading outwards in the settlement. Separate clusters, soldiers, convicts, these dark strangers, here long before our incursion. The scarcity of food, the pox, the scourge, the damp cold of the recent winter, all bring closer encroachment and some dependency, one to one to another. At the wheelwright's hut, I take the left fork and join the track that leads to the west of the headland. There are more trees left to grow on this side, and I make my way through a splintered shade past shifting shadows on the dusty path. Seven. Ghost of a woman, spirit of a man. I am lying, back warmed by fire coals, in the dark, the soft rain. There is no birdsong. My ears tune to the wind, waves of air, like the sea, reaching, retreating. Tiny stones chorus and turn Love and lament, desire and taboo. My tongue savors smoke and singe of bark and leaves. I smell damp dirt and blind eyes resist memory. Word thoughts tangle in the story of a dream. Sleep falls again like a blanket settled tenderly. I am in transition, ghost of a woman, spirit of a man. Eight. I cover my grief with sand. My basket is half full of mystery. Yams, paper bark parcels of cooked fish, oysters packed like so many sharp stones sprigs of fragrant leaves, all from where? I did not make it to the headland, thwarted by the high sandstone and twisting narrow paths that turned back on themselves from the west. Again and again I try to ascend, scrabbling, sliding down, until defeated, I wind back to the shore to soak my bloodied hands and scraped knees in the salt water. There is a bind from the west. I cannot seem to breach it. There is no path today that will turn to my endeavor. Something hitches at my breast. Is that fear? 
I weep? Useless tears mingle in the salted sea. Am I lost? Lost again? My desire moves out and in with these washing waves, reaching and retreating. Oh, it is disappointment. Pebbles turn and sing their soft melody. I would swim away but for that basket half full of gifts on the sand. I would take that bark canoe and paddle to a distant shore. I climb to the beach. I scoop out a hole. I bear down and empty into a gathering pool. I cover my grief with sand. Nine. Somewhere, a stony silence. High on the point, the night is open. Stars call through threads of air. Sinew twisted and taut. My back arches. Eyes closed. Arms wide. Breasts cool. My body lifts. Belly pulls. Limbs grip, sinews strung, knock, draw, and loose. This will make a luminous path. Those first weeks of discovery all taste like disappointment. I sit with the women. They speak little with me. Or when they do, shyly, softly, my ability to hear and watch sounds turn to reveal their mystery abandons me. With some frustration and sadness, I struggle to share their tongue. Somewhere, a stony silence. Here on the headland, the turning is blocked by a force moving like a slow storm, heavy with cloud. I can read Latin, French, even the mirrored Greek symbols. Those shapes turn for me, their meaning revealed. Reading those books has shaped my thoughts. I am an open heart. My head is strong. I strive for him, the man of stars, here on the headland, to assist with his endeavours, to find my own paths to knowledge and to liberty. Yet I see him now. He returns, unmoved, down to the cove in the fading tea-time light. Ten. Places unknown, unexplored. Memories turn and return. Fire flames bright and high. Singing, dancing, circling. Writhing colored serpents 
winding in and under sand. Then all is lost in smoke. Like a blinded moth, I return to the light. Turn and return, head bowed, bearing towards a flame. A star man, mawkish submission. I am never like this. There was Thomas. I was in charge. Again, I taste desire. Let it not smolder and implode. Immolate my vision. Sacrifice my potential. My knowledge. My freedom. I am a woman practiced at introspection, unafraid of its mystical incursions. Thomas, like his father, has a taste for mechanical pursuits. Like my own father, Thomas needs and creates exactitude. He'll join the Marine Corps. We'll travel together. Our world is changing fast and we're ready to be part of a new society. His gift is seeing numbers and calculations, using the new instruments of our time. My gift, though more obscure, is for hearing language and tasting sounds. I read widely of human consciousness, empiricism, reformism, and naturalism. I dip, I skim, I skip, I gather and weave. Gaps are filled with imagination and my dreams. My patchwork of discoveries, strengthened with Thomas's calculated facts, gives us a towering certitude and a thirst for liberty. We travel to Portsmouth as newlyweds. Fleets will carry us to the southern lands. The great scientists and philosophers of our enlightened era urge us on to partake in creating new worlds. There is never a time when Thomas is not in my life. We are kindred souls. Companions of intellectual experience. Our fathers are childhood friends. When Thomas is eight, his father dies. He and his mother come to live with us. Thomas is younger by eight years. Our age gap affords us shelter from provincial talk. We are more a match of minds than a meeting of bodies. Yet when he is standing there, so proud in his new uniform, in the soft candlelight, in the space of a moment, my body quickens. 
in the shared darkness of our new home, anticipating a future together, we find our bodies and climb to places unknown, unexplored. Eleven, smudged onto my heart. He watches, eyes still, body straight. We watch each other, both on the edge, neither in the center. Week after week, I sit scraping chalk onto my slate, trying to find a way through. I'm a bird in the wild. I watch their lips and tongues opening and closing, holding, rolling and releasing. I learn to set my mouth just so, a repertoire of exotic new sounds to fit into a flow. My tongue flips and rolls and finds new ground. Softly, just peeping from upper teeth, it touches momentarily and releases, only to open an arch lifting to the back of a mouth, bouncing gently in nasal plosion from the softest secret deep. I copy their cadence, mellifluous and lilting. I repeat the words. The women smile and laugh and nod at my mimicry. I repeat the words. There's no heart or mind in my articulations. There is no meaning. I am perched. I am caged. I look into the glass with Pretty curiosity, I, I scrape shell on stone. I watch from the outside. I squawk for smiles and nods and adulation. I repeat the words they say to me. There are but glimmerings smudged onto my heart. I am a mirror. In late summer, I notice a visitor at the edge of the circle. He stands, distant from us all, sometimes looking our way and sometimes with his back to us, gazing across the water. The women lift their chins and push their lips forward, faces turning to the south. They touch the earth. On an in-breath they sound, I begin to feel it is the presence of this man who blocks my turning to this language. There are so few threads to hold and follow. His gaze holds us all. It blurs my sight, numbs my taste. He is a guardian of mind and meaning and of movement through these sounds. I am transfixed. I am spellbound. Most nights, my dreams return. I fly into the night, making luminous tracks from point to point. I see familiar places. 
I hear their winding melodies. Often I find the sentinel. I reach for him, but we cannot touch. Tall, undulating defender. Is it you who holds my knowing and will not share? Sentinel, give it back. Let it through. Twelve. I watch from the edge. What is it like to be a man, that man? Watching, watching it all from the edge, waiting for the sun to slip away, then melting golden into the violet-black trees. that I could find some fluency in this tongue. I who can always taste the shapes of sounds and hear their melody of meaning. I sit on the point among the women. Smoke tendrils twist from our small fires. The salty smell of shellfish cooking in hot sand. A waft of acrid burning as a small bird is set to bake, naked in the coals. This language is like gazing hazy through a feather, like grasping fleeting threads caught in a wind. There are lines neither warp nor weft for me to hold and follow. There is no light, no flint, no key. For me there are no turning symbols for these sounds, these beautiful sounds. I am caught, I am fixed in a mirror of reflection. Through some habit of the senses I persist with the chalk, scraping and scribbling. Most of what I write is lost when I wipe clean the slate. Blown away, dust in the wind. Meg delivers babies and heals the sick. She communes with the wise women of this land. I sit here, scratching. Waning summer, fading dreams. Vanishing woman. The man of stars is not mine. It is not his hand that guides me. He sits aloof in the centre of his circle. In his own time. He quietly claims his space under a dome. His mind shifts from sounds to stars to symbols. How he floats, then slips away. In my dreams, someone flies near me. It is a shadow most peculiar, forbidding. And always something calls calls me from my yearning. Removed from the centre, I watch from the edge. Weighed down by the day, I take flight in the night. Thirteen. Black sails in an empty sea. 
The women sit nearer to their fires. They pull their furs and feathers close. I sit high on the headland, on the edge of the orbit we've made. My focus drifts to events of the place below. Today I see the flag hoisted high, far to the east. Voices ripple like a pennant through the streets. A clamour gusts through the town like that strong bursting wind that sweeps across the land from the south. The temperature shifts among us all. A new ship's arrival. I nod to the evening star and watch the flying foxes wheel and arc. Black sails on an empty sea. I head for home, down through darkening streets. Head now bowed, then eyes to the sky, casting to the shore. We grind on grit. I hold my loosened belly as the longboat grazing touches this strange land. Fourteen. They have colonized our place of listening. The knowing of my trail through the paths and onto the road down to the settlement now stands in some disquiet. I sense a changing cadence all around me, moving with a rest of wind as I walk. The air lifts and huffs and will not settle. Even the birds cock their little heads in shock and stop their song. The first new ship of winter brings several hundred female convicts to our shore. It's now sailed away, leaving behind an eddying whirl in the cove. Boisterous and idle, lewd and sly, jostling for food and attention. So many women. A procession of skirts and arms and heads and hands and breasts and hair. Their laughter and cursing catches at my heart and clashes with my quiet. I lift my head and turn my face away, stomping. Limping, I make my way to the point. I climb the hill, renewed, and now, spread languorously among us on the headland, they feed and poke at our little fire until it blazes wasted yellow flames. They encroach upon the star man. They have colonized our place of listening. Fifteen, stained hearts, travesty of multitudes. I wake to find my mood restored from dreaming. Still, a mystery, my dreamscape. I am vibrant in its calling, then it fades. I am quietened. Extrinsic birdsong. My senses dull. I am returned to face the morning. Everything subdued. Early winter sun glimmers through the boughs of my washroom. 
The diagonal beams, pale and wavering, cross my body. I follow their lines, curving over my breasts, my belly, and breaking across my legs astride on the wooden floor. Today I taste transfiguration. Ghost of a woman, spirit of a man. Loneliness dwells within me in the softened sun. No. It is wavering hope. The spectre of broken souls bent and crawling from the stinking ships. It sobers every one of us. So many dead. Still more dying. So very few surviving journeys of neglect. Powerless under the greed of their captors. This was never anyone's dream of our new world. Thomas's face drifts past my mind. His smile fades. He turns his proud head away from my seeking gaze. Meg is in my house. Steaming sweet tea. Seeded dry bread. So quiet today, Eliza. I'm caught, sunken in my visions of those ships and their wretched human cargo. No flesh on their bones in this cold light. Just the crawling, seething company of lice and worms and scabrous tracks of agony. A stain on our history, Megan tones. Yet from this second fleet, some will recover. Strong hearts will rise among us. Stained hearts. Not worse than the diseases that destroy so many of our neighbours. Strangers though they may seem, she adds. Multitudes lost to that scourge. These events and more besides... Travesties in our few years here. Travesty of multitudes. Meg reaches towards me and we hold hands across the table. Sixteen. Eternal. Uncountable. If there was never a first time that I dreamed my dream, then our knowing each to the other is eternal. It is uncountable. The story does not travel on a line of time, past, present or future. We dance within a sphere, bodies float and flip, sometimes colliding. We fuse and part again. We burst with joy. Unlike all the stories we have ever told, there is no middle. There is no end. There is no fall. A continuing mystery of tiny miracles, spinning high in luminous air, 
above a troubled sea. I wake, I rise, I release, I wash, I caress my body, I taste of nothing. The dream, colour, vivid, streaming, my purpose, my destination, a mystery. I am invisible. I stomp my dripping feet right then left onto the wooden boards. I go to my trunk. I retrieve Thomas's woolen cloak. I bury my head in his scent. I dress, I drink, I eat, I walk. Seventeen. Left alone to dream. So far away, lost in language, your story, I am story, we are nothing, nothing but story, or are we dancing, dancing in tongues? There is fire within me today, embers smouldering, heat that twists and pulls at my tempered heart. A woman, alone, invisible, yet bound, safe and secure. I've always taken comfort from my place on the edge, just as Thomas does, to imagine a bigger life. His one blind eye, my body also touched, the left leg shorter. We are marked, we are touched. There on the margins, Thomas and Eliza, left alone to dream, half in flight, uplifted from the earth, spirits lighter. Mother always said my soul was lighter, one leg higher. Yet as a girl it was falling, not flying, that was my mark. Plain, awkward, accountable only to myself. In a new world, we would find our community, our sphere of action, a new social contract, a place for our mortal souls to find their purpose. Eighteen, I would kiss your sleeping lips. I throw off the blankets and let winter's kiss rouse my body. I have not been alone this dreaming night. Returning from above the tides, I see him tall and gleaming. The sentinel calls to me, sings to me, over and over, words, 
stirring and sonorous, reaching inside to untwist my sinewy heart. join in harmony, I arch and die for his body, yet still we cannot touch, winding and unwinding me, your warm body folded against mine, I would kiss your sleeping lips and feel you stir against me. My release steams in the still morning air. I take pleasure in its rich aroma, straw in colour and in freshness. I have learned again to love this imperfect body. Arm raised and nose nuzzled deep, I find exotic the spicy scent of my armpits. I measure my health by the taste of my quim. Somewhat sweet, slightly salty. My vocation as a teacher is untenable in the pious schools of the colony. A widow in middle age with a certain disability. Uninvited to official gatherings. I frown into my mourning mind. My manner, irreligious, non-conforming, has always been my path to pride and freedom, to purpose. Not here, now it binds me. Yes, a roiling, useless righteousness scraping against the grain. I feel it weaving and entwining, there, glowering darkly. Oh, there is jealousy in my heart. I remind my shrinking spirit that I can find my grace, my contribution. I am warmed by my friendship with Meg. We are accustomed to the margins of society. I straighten up, I breathe out, strong and slow. We take comfort in our freedom. Nineteen. Sometimes, when they laugh. The convict women settle in, find their place, find a man to swive. Each gives comfort in their coupling. It's all the same when body falls for body. Just to hold. Someone to kiss, caress. Gestures kind and playful in this harshened land. These women, they are the opposite to me. There are none of them invisible. They shout and laugh, cajole and caper. They are at play. Sometimes when they laugh, the air lifts, a balm soft joy to smooth the roughly hewn. 
anguish unfolds and begins to lift. The soldiers, less grim in their duties, so interminable their work. So slow the building of the town, hunger always gnawing at their bellies. There grows a fragile joy in this small settlement. It lifts and wafts, it flows, a thin stream of lustrous clear, a playful breeze, high morning bird song, hearts softening. We face the new land, we shed our grief, our fear, our loss. Our angst begins to shift, seeping into this sandy soil. Spring rain, so delicate. Fallen leaves, the color of hope. Pink and gold, soft fire and green. The colors of the stars. The women have each other, even as they push and snatch and fight, cackle or call even as they sulk and stomp and shake their fists, angry, hurt, jealous, abandoned, drunk, afraid, even then, now, they have each other. A tide of souls, a river of imperfection, a shallow pool of urging, tangled passions, Whirl and gather, rising and refilling, replenishing a void. The starman does not smile or laugh. He grows more earnest, serious in his duty. But the women on the headland, both convicts and our quiet strangers, find lines of kindred humour in each other. They commune, they tease, they touch. They breathe their humour, thriving on each other's cheer, touching hair and clothes and bodies, always a joke, a game, the chase, the tease, the laughter. In the settlement, the sombre work of building growing and expanding takes on a freshly sharpened edge as the days lengthen and the earth warms under softer light. Twenty. I am empty. I am renewed. I climb the steep track from the west to the point and see the women each in turn stand to dance. Is that dancing? Perhaps to caper? Yes. Like strutting birds when they display. They are at play. Clever songbirds in the wild. They mimic a walk, a stance the behaviour and inclinations, and then they sit again, 
laughter, rolling on their haunches, arms and heads raised high in acclamation and approval. I wait by the trees and I watch. There is no doubt they have the star man perfectly. Head moving down and up again as he stabs at his notebook, earnest and determined, busy at his work. Then, then he leaves, he soars away, lifting to a nest on high. Impeccable. They depict the captain, he who writes, visits his friend, the starman, jaunty as he climbs the hill, his curious, haughty head, his wide, expressive arms, the way he holds his space, turning to regale, to affirm, proud, clever, charming. And then I see a rolling, uneven gate. It is me, back straight, beak-like nose, my proud profile. They make me run, tall and troubled. My head bends to the slate, then lifts and turns toward him. A dreamy gaze held long. Then they laugh. My hand covers my mouth. Where is my humour? I do not laugh. Where is my joy? Courage to play. I've lost it all. Fist to mouth. I find that I am weeping. Stupid, useless tears. Body shaking, rocking. From where this rising storm? Thomas. I'm alone. With you, I am ever bold and brave. I'm certain I play my role. Bright, forthright, free. Your Eliza Swift is fading. Lost somewhere. A hollow, empty space where we once grew. I'm still wandering on an ocean. Blind sailing among the stars. Oh, that I had never desired you. That innocence still bound us. My body yet awakened. I slide to the ground. I succumb to streaming tears. Deep, ragged, piteous sobbing escapes from me. In this forest of stringy leaves and paper trees, I am torn to ragged strips. A spirit leaves my body and echoes high above me, swarming. Reckless, arrogant woman, 
slave to my body's urges. I became for you a stranger, rapacious, intimate stranger. The sobs subside, my breath slows, my chest aches. The wailing now no more than a long, soft, wavering lament. I am latched inside this time and space, stranded. I lift my sodden face to see the watcher standing before me, tall, straight, still. His arms are held out from his sides, his palms open, facing me with focused intensity. I am spent and light-headed from my unrestrained despair. I know not what is real or illusory. I sense he is drawing distress from my aching chest, absorbed by him. And with each breath, I feel the anguish lift, opening. He takes my song of sorrow into his body. I begin to breathe again, empty, calm. He does not move. I look to his face. He does not meet my eyes. I remain slumped against the tree, its bark soft and warm. I lift my head. He stands there, straight and impossibly tall. My eyes are drawn to the lines across his chest. I see them pale and raised on dark satin skin. His arms still take the shape of a bird, wings slightly lifted. Slowly, he turns the open palms away. Every movement, binding spell, slow and calm, turning. His open palms turn once more to me. There comes a change, a current of warmth. It bathes my body. Comforting balm floods my belly, breast and heart, my face, my head. I am submerged in deep, warm water. I am floating. My whole body is floating in a sea, recomposing, gentle waves. I am weightless. The spring sunshine returns through the thin, twisting leaves above. I close my eyes and my body breathes, slow, gentle, deep. My entire body breathes. I open my eyes. He is gone. Small lizards skitter among fallen leaves, dry, elliptical over and under the spilled contents of my basket, 
I am empty. I am renewed. I walk over to the women and find a place among them. I breathe the smoke from their small fire deep into my chest. I sit, silent, quietly calm. I simply sit. The women set alight twigs of curling leaves. They wave the fragrant smoke towards me. They sit and fan the smoke all around me, singing soft and plaintive songs. Twenty-one. Dizzy from dark slumber. Meg travels more and more frequently with her companions she calls Gadigal women. They roam through the forests collecting fruit and herbs, shellfish and yams. I hope today that she is home. I need sweet tea and her comforting eyes. I leave the point early in the afternoon still dazed and hollow from my collapse. I thread my way down to the port, past the women's camp, through the thrum, the men's camp, through to the outskirts of the settlement that has become my home. And in this sphere of dreams, there is air viscous or melting. There is water, warm and scented. There is land, stony or crumbling. There is a world of stars, the changing moon, the sun spinning, tumbling toward the land each day, only to stand again each morning, dizzy from dark slumber. Twenty-two, even in my dreams. In the stars, there is no burning heat, only warming light. My body makes tracks, tracing out my journey. Luminous paths left in my wake whirling blindly from one point to the next. I recall my spiral into despair on the point. It is not just the women's knowing of my constant gaze to the star man for his approval. I know now in my heart that I've looked to him for love, for comfort and release. Not there, my purpose. It is not their mimicking of my gait on the way I hold myself. I'm, of course, accustomed to that. 
tall, troubled, separate, stalking, beaked bird. No, it is what descends on me, looming. It is the heavy ache of truth impending. I can no longer find my spirit. I have lost the path to joy, my humour, my thirst for life. My freedom is dissipating. I was once alone and strong. I'm sinking. In a pool of fear, I find no grounding for my feet. Grief will engulf me, even in my dreams. It's time to share with Meg more of my stories. She often asks, and I brush her away. She knows that I was widowed shortly before sailing. She knows I gave birth to my daughter at sea. Sweet babe, never to touch the land of this new adventure. I feel the warmth and wisdom in Meg's searching eyes. I keep my story to myself. I'm not ready. My courage takes but shallow breaths. A tiny bird, its beak opening and closing again. For what? Morsels? I do not want pity. I want release. I will not burden her with my sorrow, my regret. I want my flight. I want only to appear and disappear there in the fantasy of my dreams. I've tried and I am failing to find or lose myself in the endeavour of my work on the language. Twenty-three. I find my grace again. The sounds are shifting tremors, almost imperceptible. My scraping and scratching is bringing something through, coiling through from mystery. The women, I think they have a name for me. They call Jarawunang. They laugh and call my name. They sing my name. I am magpie. I am magpie. We laugh, we call. We are magpies all. Then the man of stars is standing behind me. He asks if we can speak. I would kiss your sleeping lips. My magpie silently sings a dreamer's musing. Uh, duty calls me away more often during the days, he begins, and... I am concerned that my language notes may become lost or damaged. 
blink into his earnest face. There is something in his eyes, sparks of defiance. Could you do me the great favor of taking each of my notebooks and making fair copies? I would supply fresh books and ink, whatever you might need. That would be an honor and my pleasure, I flush. I already have paper and ink. Very well. I thank you. I will bring the notebooks for you to make a start. Ah, oh, your warm body folded against mine. My heart softens and lifts. Thank you. How I thank you. Thank you, kind and clever starman. I find my grace again. Green tendrils of envy surrender and retreat. Twenty-four. I take your little hand. I find my place in high castle towers shrouded in stardust. I roll and fold in giant nests lined deep and soft with silver and spider silk. I race the wind on a white stallion, my hands gripping his mane, his legs galloping in luminous air, his feathered wings whispering in flight. I dive deep into pools of glittering liquid stars bursting around me. I twist and tumble, frolic and gamble as a mermaid in the waves. I take your little hand and lead you through the forest to a cave of tangled fireflies twinkling in the dark. I take you to the mountain top. We sit and gaze at lightning dancing for us across the sky. I take you where no child has gone before. And at the end, I turn my hand palm open to the stars and project the journey's shape across the sky. Lines, tracks of light, tracks of my love. A flower, a star, a scorpion, a centaur, a wolf, a bear, a bird. Every night, a shape from point to point a multitude of maps. My painted journeys strewn across the sky. These are my lines of flight. 25. Luminous air between us. I cannot sleep. The moon is full and crowding out the stars. There's a shadow in my doorway. Thomas? You have returned. 
Thomas. I am changing. Spirit of a woman, ghost of a man. Thomas, in my dreams, I take her hand. I hold her little hand. You stand there, so proud in your new uniform. In the soft candlelight. The moon shines. My body quickens. It turns. It is our first night. My proud young soldier. I circle you. Slowly. Silently. Stiff bicorn hat, still new. Velvet eye patch, soft, smooth. I kiss your lips. I kiss where the high shirt collar grazes your jaw. I step away, and you remain standing to attention, your color rising. The red jacket broadens your shoulders. I stand behind you and let my hands move firmly from shoulders down to your waist, where the long jacket splits. I reach under the warm jacket tails and continue over your buttocks and down your outer thighs. I step away and resume my circling. Your jacket is short at the front with broad white facings and all manner of metal and braid under the wide leather crossbelt. I reach inside and feel for your warm heart under the cotton shirt. I pull away some fastening and softly kiss your smooth bare chest in two places. step away again and allow my eyes to move from your face, your head held high, to your chest, to your flat belly, and there, there to the cream fitted breeches, I raise my eyes. What courage, young soldier, my Thomas. Strong and proud for me in our bedroom. I lift my chin to indicate your jacket. Your movements are slow, deliberate. You're nervous. Your mouth is dry. You swallow. You've not yet learned to play. I will not touch you yet. The metal clink of the cross-belt buckle on the wooden chair stirs my body. The rustle of soft lining as your jacket slides over the shoulders of the chair makes me draw a quick breath. The white overvest is stiff, starched 
folded in half, resting. You lift and stretch and pull the shirt over your head. It is you. We are here. Soft, soft light. I see my young Thomas anew. Under the layers of your new disguise, you're smooth and pale in the candlelight. I take both your hands and gently kiss your lips. We will hold this space. There is luminous air between us. Twenty-six. I am Magpie. Thunder rumbles across the darkened sky. Round, fat raindrops fall on dirt and sand. I walk from the point to my home. The air is full of scented blossom and charged with the heady aroma of rain and blood and stone. I lift my head and drink. I pick herbs thick and fresh and green from the margins of the stream. I listen to the water rising, laughing, singing. Then I am smiling. As quickly as it came, the rain stops. Just dripping trees. The air, so clean, almost silent, shining. I am ready. I have so much to share with Meg. I walk to her house. She's not returned from her wanderings, though surely it will not be too long. The birds begin to signal the sunset. The cooler air takes on a sharpened edge. I take its breath inside of me. I walk behind our houses and find a large fallen branch and drag it back. I gather dry sticks and soft papery bark to start the fire. The embers are still warm. I blow on the coals and use her fan of feathers to set alight the small dry sticks. My face is warmed by flames. I stare into dancing tongues. The coals begin to glow again. I place the branch on top and watch it catch. A pale, fat spider makes her fast escape from a whirl in the log. I watch her dance away, safe from the flames. I hear Meg. She's still with the women. They arrive at the fire and lay down their gatherings. Baskets of small fruit, earth-covered yams like long, crooked fingers, woven sacks of mussels and large, hairy shellfish, bunches of leaves and herbs, starved digging sticks, more dry firewood. 
the water in the iron pot begins to simmer. Eliza, how lovely. You've made a fire. The women break off small leafy branches and sweep clear the sand around the fire. In one fluid movement of such grace, they sink and fold their legs to quietly sit. Their dogs lie down. We acknowledge each other. They gesture to me. Meg, I am magpie, Jarunang, I smile. Yes, sweet sister, you are always magpie. We're staring into the flames, listening for the laugh of boiling water. I am magpie. Perhaps tonight is not the night to unburden my spirit. Arching, soaring, it all feels so calm. Such shared comfort. We sit here quietly, waiting to drink sweet tea. Twenty-seven. I never arrive. I fly or float or dance or soar. My track makes lines of flight, lines of color in the sky among the stars. These are my lines. These are my drawings, my maps my painted journeys. As the seasons change in this land, there comes a hollow, empty shadow. Hunger. Something is absent in my travels and in the patterns of the stars. I feel their light upon me. I see them shining. And they sing how they sing in the clear night air. Multitudes of maps across the starry sky, a dizzying array, colored scribbling, tangled threads. They are my weavings. They are roads ever traveled over time. They are paths guiding me, leading me on. I am deaf to their echoes, blind to their purpose. I travel, but now I never land. I never arrive anywhere to place my feet, to rest my body onto any starlit land, nor even to dip into a midnight sea. Nothing. Always the journey, flying, floating, never touching, weary, restless. I never quite arrive. Paths abstracted from celestial worlds. There are no figures, 
No faces, no objects, no animals, nothing. I am nothing. I am space. I am echo. I am secret. I am but shadow. I have no space or light. I am a traveler in dreams who never, ever arrives. I go to the trunk and retrieve Thomas's cloak. I lay it out and unbutton the lining. Pale green silk, fashioned by his mother. I empty a whole bottle of blue ink into my wash basin, add a little water and soak the silk lining until it is bright blue-green. Twenty-eight. He draws me in. There is the sentinel. He calls for me. He draws me in. I dance for him. I spin and turn and bend for him. He sings to me. I follow, hoping for redemption, silently. I'm following his sounds. He calls. I respond. His voice pulls me in. I turn for him, blindly. I am puppet. figurine, blind pirouetting, hard sea of ice. I dance and sing, I bend and bow for him. Comfort me, sentinel. I rise, I release. I wash, I caress my body. I taste of disappointment. Twenty-nine. Pale pebble. Meg, I am magpie. You said I was always Jaruanang. Hmm. There is the strength of both the light and the dark in you, Eliza. You are magpie. Your darkness is underneath and remains a part of you. Your light still shines. Every day. 
not only in your dreams. Some days all feels dark. I'm a magpie abandoned. My husband gone, my baby dead. I've traveled to new territory. Such purpose. I wait, I work, I gather. No one joins my nest. I need to find my strength again. Oh, I need to find my light. Call again on Feisty Magpie for your grieving. You'll find a bridge from dark to light. Keep calling for your feet to find that ground. You're fierce. Don't let the darkness dampen your flint or cool your warm light. I'm drawn to darkness, to its secret soft seduction. There's a comfort in the torment. I might yet shine there, a tiny jewel of hope, blue or green. But in this vast, bright sky on this dry, scratched land, I'm a pale pebble rolling to the sea. Beware the shining beauty in the dark, sweet sister, for it would take your power from you. Eliza, guard your fire and your light, but speak of your passion. We thought our ideas were eternal. But something stole Thomas. Something stole our baby. I've lost my courage and my light. How can I speak of passion? Burn your grief and your anger through me. I'll hold it with you, dear Eliza. I dare not open that wound again, sucked into a dark and raging storm. Within that storm lies your power and your freedom. Sing it with me. Uh, I'm brittle shell. I will crack. I will flake and fall, revealing only fury and regret. have seen Thomas smile on our last night together. So shy when we first wed. In those short months he comes to attend on me so tenderly and with such hunger. He stands there proud, desires me with such urgency. My young soldier, What now, my desire? What now, these hands, this mouth, these lips? What now, my urging, aching, melting body? Useless, pulsing memory. Thirty. Water-worn stones. I fall into the notebooks, reading every page. I will absorb his method, his way of recording, before I begin my copy. 
his words key to my redemption. They will renew my spirit, fill my dreams with richer, bolder, brighter color and intent. There is no order. Nothing is clear on this palest of blue paper. There are names and dates and scrawling in his hand. Yes, his symbols are mostly clear to me. The pages are divided in half with a vertical fold. Is there method in these notebooks? These words are upside down. These are sideways on the border. These are creeping along the inner margin, fighting for space with the fastenings. I must read them. I must write them. Again. I must say them aloud. Again and again. I go to my trunk to retrieve paper. There, the parcel. Paper and string. Mud and blood. Unopened. I see also my journal of the sea voyage, untouched, unread. I breathe in, out, and bend. I take it out and place it with the parcel on the table. I undo the string and fold back stiff wrapping. I lean in to smell the paper. Past, future. I finger Thomas's bound notebooks. Thick covers of water-worn stones. His wound bundle of pens. His bottles of blue ink. Thomas, I abandoned you. I take out his sheets of thick paper. One by one, I fold and fold and fold them over again. Carefully, I tear each page into segments. I pile them up. Many dozens of cards, calling cards, all blank, spilling across the table, falling onto the floor. Thirty-one. There is no space for me. My pillow wet from weeping, anger seeping. There is fire in the stars, only fire. There is no path, no comfort, no mouth, no tongue, no hands, no body. Nothing upon the warm, hard flesh of your concealment. Words are deception. They turn and return. Hidden in their symbols, there is only blood. Chalk and blood. Chalk and tears. 
There is no space between the stars. There is no key to dreams. There is no kindness. There is only wretched weeping. Rain falls and bitter wind blows. I sink onto my withering. On a river of ice, I limp. I fall. I will not fly. There is no space between the stars for you. There is no space for me. I rise. I release. I wash. I caress my body. I taste of blood. Thirty-two. I taste them as I list them. I work through the notebooks, forward, back, again and again. I will transcribe every word, searching for the patterns, yearning for the key. My learning of Latin comes flooding back as I summon structure to peer into and beyond the words. I can smell the star man on these faint pastel blue pages. I want to be able to find and sort each word. I will organize them on paper cards alphabetically, just as the star man does, empirically. I will classify, I will separate, I will build on his work. The parts of speech whose names and meanings are so resonant to my echoing spirit. I taste them as I list them, keys to freedom, noun, verb, pronoun, so bold, Adverb, adjective, alive, and the attending parts, preposition, conjunction, interjection. This is how we shape, name, and capture our worlds. Noun, the thing, substantive and concrete. Verb, the action that keeps the world turning. Pronoun. A special form for who? We humans, speakers of language. The I, you, she, we, and all of them. How we enliven our actions with adverbs and colour our worlds with adjectives. The tiny workings of moving parts that link and stretch to connect the network of our speaking prepositions to place us in space, like to, from, for, with, about, around, conjunctions to join the parts of time or space or reason, interjections to break it, yet conjunctions seem to be missing, and, or, with, when, but, because, I wonder if we need the links of time and space and reason when everything is already connected. 
My lips and tongue wrap lovingly around these words, puzzle pieces recalled from my childhood, prefix, suffix, conjugation, inflection, declension, all so confident in their frames. What goes before, what follows, how things are ordered, decorated or arranged. How we love to count, rank and order the world, pull it into a structure. This is how we solve the puzzle. Person, number, gender, tense, mood, aspect, voice, always colourful in their extensions. We lay the foundation so we can make the stories. I am first person and you are second. Ha! The hubris. Others are third. See how we count in numbers? We cluster people into singular units or duels or lumps of three or more as plural. Yet in this land, in this language, we find a comforting inclusion. There is, I find, a separate word, a unique pronoun for us, you and I together. It is different from we or us when you are not with us. Special pronouns for including you. Separate pronouns when you are not here in our story, in our space, our reference. In Latin, I can colour the action, the verb with tense and mood, aspect and voice. Here, in this language, I find that something is either real or not real. It has happened or it is yet to happen. These are palettes of earth, not of rainbows. The power of this melding lights up my mind. Phrase, compound, subject, predicate, clause, sentence, culmination a tiny compendium of taxonomy and nomenclature. Plants, birds, animals, elements, body parts. I am breathless. And so it begins. Thirty-three. My hands full of bright coals. You turn and face me. Ethereal. Unearthly. We sing in harmony. Charged with earth and fire. It is your body that calls to me. We almost touch. We part come together again, so close, you pull back, I yearn for the seduction, woman to man, man to woman, fire, tongues of flame, my hands full of bright coals, 
they do not burn me. I fall awake onto my arms. The candle is burned down. I trace my finger along a river of wax, across the table, onto my books. Everything is dark but for the new moon. An owl calls into the still air. And again. The sound that has caught me from my dream. I hear her giant wings, almost imperceptible. Into the night. She is gone. Thirty-four. I confront myself. I'm not accustomed to being obstructed. At first I laugh. Then drink at the stream, listening to the lilt of flower stars. A rare daylight vision. This sentinel shape would keep me from my yearning. What is he protecting? He plays with my desire. I know my dissatisfaction is building. This is a brutal colony. I cannot yet see a new day dawning. Can it be true that I no longer know what anything means for me? I thought I had the courage to be myself here, to let this small world see me. I confront myself. My vision is both reality and fantasy, both empirical and mystical. My dreams are inspired leaps of imagination. They fill the gaps. I can inhabit other worlds. They are joyful. They are my freedom. They are my power. My dreams relate only to mystical imaginings. Precisely what those brilliant minds of the Enlightenment reject. I sense now that I can only find myself here in this wilderness through the mythical. Through the myth and story shared with me. Thirty-five, I begin to listen. I no longer walk to the point. All that I need is here in my heart of sticks and mud. I gather all the words and give each one a card. I call the names as I write them. I taste them on my tongue, searching, remembering, striving for the flow and fall the cadence from mind to mouth, seeking the space of spoken idiom, 
Arcanum. No one has ever shared such sacred power with me. Private, potent, safe from all, higher than our dreams, richer than any fantasy woven from childhood fables. And in the night, in my dreams, I begin to listen. More than the lilt and dance of melody. Incantation. Such enchantment. Invocation sung out between the stars. Elements of all our dreams. Even if they find their way to me, I will not respond. I have largely educated myself, strong in languages. I have quietly immersed myself in the philosophy of Locke and the writings of Diderot and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I share my ideas with Thomas and together we formulate ideas for a new future. Our greatest desire is to come to a new world when no one is telling us what to believe. In the stillness and silence of new beginnings, perhaps we can find the peace and quiet to discover for ourselves what is our calling, our destiny. Yet these are ancient songs. Thirty-six. Eliza Swift, no more a spinster. When we arrive in Portsmouth, I tell Meg, we are newly wed. Volunteers to the Marines were welcome. Thomas had inquired about my passage as a free settler to the colony, but I must pay, and I do not have the means. There is another solution. I do not say it aloud. Not yet. Families of Marines are accepted. We need to marry. Thomas and I are steadfast friends, like family. When I propose my plan, Thomas is unsettled. His father has died, his mother a modest and devout widow of Folkestone. With my careful persuasion and no other options, Thomas agrees. At his mother's urging, we marry at St. Ainsworth. It is December. It is snowing, a single bell, crunching footfall. I glance behind, tracks, both his and mine. It is the week before we leave for Portsmouth. My parents are accustomed to my ways, 
surprised perhaps that Eliza Swift has traded some of her freedom and no more a spinster. Thomas's mother is crying. I search her eyes for a glimmer of joy. Our adventure begins. There's so many ships in the port. There's a hustle of wheels and trolleys, horses shouting, pulling and loading as supplies are carted, orders placed and plans made for a large fleet leaving at the end of winter. Second Lieutenant Thomas Collins. My friend. My husband. He is assigned to the Office of Supply. Counting and calculating. Stores, dispatching, provisions, outfitting, requisitions, disbursement, distribution of cargo amongst the fleet. We all know a proportion of the cargo is human. Many hundreds of men and women, surplus to our needs, shackled, languishing, stagnating in overcrowded prisons and stinking damp hulks up and down the coast. We arrive in Portsmouth early in the new year, full of such lightness. New lives ahead, an unlikely couple, bound together in ideas. Thomas is shy. We have never shared a bed. On our second day, I see him from our window in the street below. He is dressed in his uniform, proud, handsome. Something in me shifts. I've always respected him. Now I want to touch him, show him something new. My lifelong friend, this young soldier, handsome stranger. My body turns for him. My heart jumps. I hear his boots on the stairs, climbing to our room. He opens the door, steps inside. He smiles and stands to attention. I too smile. We stand there, no words. My body stirs again, awakened. I slowly circle him, quite entranced. That night, we share a bed. It is a tender, innocent communion. Our bodies meld. My desire aflame. Over the ensuing weeks, we come to know each other. Partners in new adventure. He remains shy, unsure, but loving. He allows me to lead. There are times when I'm surprised at my boldness. Instinctive. I find joy in whispering my desire to him. Words I have never used before, with him or with anyone. The potency of these words, these sounds, excites me. Visceral and erotic. Secret charms. 
casting spells for our love. I wrap my mouth around them and taste their power. Our private language. Bold, earthy, ethereal. Dancing with power in the language of Eros, I float and fly. Flipping and turning and dancing my new language. Words I can own. Strong, proud, fierce, free. Thomas is mostly silent, led by my whispers. But his courage rises time and time again to my touch. My soft mouth, my gentle hands, my body melting for him. Thirty-seven, sacred ichor, rich and golden. A simple yearning song of love and loss, a fiery anthem of war and reparation, locked Forbidden, secret, powerful. I delight in their unfolding revelation. I linger in the language of the gods. My sacred ichor flows rich and golden, seeping from my foundation at every word. My tongue, my lips, my hungry mouth unlocks a power. Licking, lapping, lingering, delicious, delightful, to the taste, to the ear. Whispered incantation for my lover, tasting every inch of your body. I roll the sounds rich and glorious into the darkness, from the depths of my pharynx to the tip of my tongue. Every sound, hard, soft, stopped, sibilant, plucked, plosive, potent, muscular, ripe articulation rolling from my depths, ancient, exotic, lyric combinations, colour, our dreams. From the back of my tongue, through the laminal, Apical and out to the widening night. Quim, cue, nipple, nuzzle, nest, lap, lip, lick, lunge, linger, touch, twist, tease, tickle, silk and stroke, sip, suckle, belly, breast, buttock, pinch, plunge, plump, pleasure, muscle, milk, melting, icor, essence, ecstasy, rapture, release. An explosion of white cockatoos bursts into the sky. Their golden crowns glow. I wake, raise my head from the table. There are hundreds of cards spilling to the floor. The candle flickers and dies. I must sleep. There is so much work to do. I must write the words. I must transcribe. I, I must write. I must write. I must sleep.
38. Unlatched. Waiting. Meg and I sip sweet tea. I'm ready to unfold more of my story. Slowly, I remember that Saturday morning in Portsmouth, lying in our bed. The morning grey is leaking light into our room. Wind makes rain beads tick quietly on the glass. Crystal lava, imperceptible flow, until it finds more of its kind, gathers and feels its way inexorably down, down to the sea to blur my view of the clouds. Are they folding gathered velvet, sliding aside for the sun? I'm serene, suspended, sighing, dreamy from our evening's pleasure. I turn to watch his sleeping face. But Thomas is awake, his gaze fixed above. I am so hungry for his skin scent, the soft line of hair from belly and on down. I need to taste him. It would break this morning's spell. I cannot resist. I whisper urging words into his ear, rounded lip smack, rolling tongue, catching, clicking, soft aspirations of desire. My fingertips dance along his body. I'm playing. I'm petulant. I'm quietly exhorting. Thomas rolls out of bed. I see him begin to dress. I reach for him. I kneel on the bed, swaying and dancing for him. Come to me, soldier, I love. Come now. Kiss your queen. I take his hand and place it on my breast. He slips from my grip and looks discomposed. I'm sorry, I must dress, he stammers. I I need to purchase paper and notebooks for the voyage. I need pens and ink and... His arms lift and fall, searching for another word and my rejoinder. His beautiful face, his eyes clouding with confusion. I must write, Eliza, on the voyage. I'll keep a journal, a record of everything. You must understand, I I will write of our adventure. He smiles expectantly, wanting me to agree with him, to rejoice in his idea. No, stay a moment with me. Kiss me, Thomas. Don't leave yet. I must go. I need these things. I'm sorry. I must. Come and kiss your queen, I sing. He pulls on his uniform, turns at the door and touches his lips. He throws me a kiss, a nervous salute and leaves. I hear his boots hurrying down the wooden stairs, two at a time. 
I fall back on the pillow and wonder if tomorrow the sky will be blue when we turn and farewell Portsmouth at first light. Our luggage is packed, unlatched, waiting. Just like my body. Thirty-nine, yearning for a story, melded. I fly into a fever of sounds. Sacred power is mine to wield. Private, potent, safe from anyone. Higher than our dreams. Protected from all virgins, under robes and ritual. Hiding inside tabernacle, buried in cult and liturgy. I wake, I rise, I release, I caress, I bathe, I taste of ritual. My hair is redolent of myrrh. I smile into the looking glass. My eyes are brightened. I remove my dreaming face and I'm ready to begin again. Each day I work through the notebooks. At night I burn precious candles. I copy the words and gather the symbols. The work of the Starman aids my sight. I shape these sounds and make pictures from his pages. They begin to come alive. I, there, see now I thee. Thou, see now me thou, here. I, hear now I thou. Thou, sigh now thou self. Thou, there, see now thou self, distant. Patterns form, keys turn, sliding combinations, spinning revelations, yearning for a story, melded, quietly reshaping and transforming dreams woven from these notes. Slowly, so slowly, something is emerging on the page. In my own hand. I see you there, Ngaya Nula Nanawinya. You see me here, Nyeni Nanangami Tietjam. I hear you, Ngaya Naranawinya. You are sighing, Nyeni Ngayana Numilia. And looking out, Yinia Nanumilia, across the distance, Ngaroan. Ngaya Nula Nanawinia, Nyini Nanangami Tietjam, Ngaya Ngaranawinia, Nyini 
ngayana ng milya, yiniya nanumilya ngarawan. Forty. Paper and string. Meg and I sit quietly around the fire. Guiyanga, I whisper. The coals glow softly. Pure white ash fringes the blackened logs, heavy and sweet. I continue. I pack and repack our trunk one more time. I empty the silverware and candlesticks from their wooden cases and wrap them in our linen. I take my own notebook and place it in one case. I stack my ink and pens in the other. Yes, yes, there will be plenty of space for Thomas's notebooks, paper and ink. The hard cases will protect his journal and our writing implements during our long voyage. I wash and dress and wait for Thomas to return. We'll share some bread and meat and cheese. At noon he is still not returned. Was he called to the supply office? I've eaten half the food. I wait. I set his aside. I wait. Rain has cleared. Boots on the stairs. Two sets of boots. Step out of time. Thomas is with company. A knock. Knock, knock. Why would Thomas knock? I get up and open the door. Yes? Two marines crowd the landing. Mrs. Thomas Collins? Yes, I'm Eliza Collins. I'm sorry, Mrs. Collins. Lieutenant Thomas Collins. Yes? He is... He's in the hospital. Yes? They halt their speaking. They hand me a heavy parcel wrapped in paper and string... He was cut down by the mail coach. In the rain, he turned the corner. He ran straight in front of the horses. They reared. He fell. His head trampled. Then one wheel. He was killed. Madam, I am sorry. We are sorry. was killed, madam. Mail coach, madam. Thomas was killed. Thomas is dead. Thomas was killed. He is dead. Thomas is dead. I hold his parcel to my breast. Paper and string. Mud and blood. 